Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to Please be seated. At this time, I invite all the young and young at heart forward for a special message. Jesus is with us, that Jesus loves us and cares for us. 
Sometimes it helps guide us on our way, just like these traffic signs do as we drive down. So we pray for them this morning. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the signs that you've placed in our lives to show us that you love us, to show us that you care for us, to guide us on our way. Continue to love us and care for us and guide us this week. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Now will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, pop quiz for you. What are the Ten Commandments? Paul's opening words to the church in Corinth about the cross of Jesus. Jesus' cleansing of the temple and our psalm this morning all have in common. The answer is signs. <laughs> right, that wasn't a setup for a bad church joke. You see, we think of the Ten Commandments as, as the law given to Moses and the people of Israel for them to follow and obey so that they would please God and have rules to govern their society. However... What scripture tells us is that the law was given to the people first and foremost, that it be a sign of God's relationship with them, a representation of what it means to be set apart as people of God. Worshiping God above all things and loving one's neighbor as oneself by following these commandments are not God's divine checklist on our morality, determining our status before God and neighbor, rather Following these Ten Commandments show God and show the world that our relationship with our Creator has changed us for the better. And we live our lives as a means of communicating that change, as a means of showing the grace of God to other people through our actions. In our psalm this morning, all of creation sings of God's praises, heaven and earth, day and night, the proclamation of countless voices. And the inmost thoughts and dreams of each person cry out to the goodness and the glory of God. The psalmist gives all glory and honor to God and turns to God as a protector, a refuge, and the source of all goodness and cleanliness. A sign of the nature of the God we worship. A sign of the fullness of life which God promises to each and every one of us. When asked what justification he could give for fashioning a whip and driving the livestock and the market vendors from the temple, Jesus told those who questioned him, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Through John's narration, we have the privilege of knowing that Jesus was talking about his own death and resurrection, not the tumbling and the rebuilding of stones. It would be the events revolving around the cross, God's journey towards death, and Jesus' vindication as an innocent victim, which points to God's desire for a faithful relationship with each and every one of us. God's desire for intimacy and worship as the center of our lives. 
independent of our own merit, our own wealth, what we can afford to buy or give to God. Which brings us to Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. His words at the opening of this letter help us to make sense of all these signs and give to us a key to understanding God's activity in the world. For the message about the cross, he writes, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation, the foolishness of this sign, the foolishness of this cross, to save those who believed. Corinth was a great city in ancient Greece. It's steeped in its love of philosophy and the pursuit of pure wisdom. A hub of commerce, of trade, of travel. Corinth became a cultural melting pot in antiquity. A place where the prominent thought of the day, both philosophical and religious, could be traded and shared. In a culture that prided itself on wisdom and philosophy, the amount of experiences available there were remarkable. But of course, such a culture provokes and provides the opportunity for competition. A competition that is going on in this Corinthian church, bringing division among its members. Paul's response is to say to these Christians, as Christians, the message we proclaim, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who seek wisdom. Foolishness to those who seek understanding and the pursuit of human achievement as the pinnacle of their existence. But for people of faith, the cross is the very power and the very wisdom of God himself. We remember in Paul's day that a cross was nothing to be proud of. An image of power, yes, but the power and strength of the Roman Empire, an image of the cruelty, of the shame, of the torment, of the death that one society can afflict upon another. The cross was reserved for criminals, traitors, and terrorists. The cross made each and every culture throughout the known world weak in the knees at its very sight. But to God, to us, the cross was used to demonstrate the power of God. To us, the cross serves as a sign of God's wisdom made perfect in the weakness of the world. And yes, a sign of God's love shared and shown to each and every one of us. The Jewish faith demanded signs of God's activity in the world, looking outside of themselves for a clear and direct indication of what is and what is not from God. Think of the way we ask for directions if we're lost. We want a clear-cut path laid out for us so that when the time comes to get on the road, we know exactly which street is the quickest and which turn we should take to avoid making that wrong one in Albuquerque. We look for signs, street signs, markers in the world that help guide us along the way because we want a clear-cut path toward our destination. The Greeks, on the other hand, they demand wisdom are like those of us who set out to travel some days, who know almost without thinking or paying attention to the road or the signs 
the way to our destination and where each pothole is. We've probed the depths of our minds and our experiences and reached our own conclusions, our own understandings about the world and the way it works, and we trust in our own understanding above all else. GPS is wrong. Turn it off. I know my way. For Jews demand signs, and the Greeks, they desire wisdom, Paul says. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. God taking on flesh and dwelling among us does not make sense. It doesn't make rational sense that the almighty, all-powerful, all-encompassing God of heaven and earth would suffer a shameful death as a crucified Savior is an incomprehensible, incompatible sign with the wisdom of the world and with the markers of the God that we worship. It does not make sense. Yet here it is. To those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, no matter who we are, what we look for in this world, Christ Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. Regardless of what signs we demand or how wise or clever we think we are, Christ Jesus crucified and raised from the dead is the power and the wisdom of God, both the sign of God's faithfulness toward us and the sign of our future as children of God. This crucified Savior, the the power and the wisdom of God, shows us the extent to which God loves us, the depths that God goes to in order to raise us up to new life. The signs are all around us. Do we see them? Do we pay attention to them? For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. As Christians, we don't make sense of the world by looking at the norms of the society around us. We don't look at the suffering of others and see a world condemned to eternal suffering. We see the face of the crucified Jesus calling us to lives of hope that work out God's work to ease the suffering, the torment of those around us. As Christians, we don't settle for accepting the corrupt dealings of of politicians or government officials, corporation owners as the norm, as just being a sign of our humanity. We don't take at face value the information that we receive from the newspaper, from the internet, from the television, from the radio. We probe deeper to see God's sign of wholeness and peace, longing to come into a world that is broken and hurting. As Christians, we look for the sign of the cross, the sign of the death and resurrection of Jesus, calling us to live out these Ten Commandments as a blessing for our neighbors And a sign of God's blessing on our lives. To worship and praise God with all that we are. And to be consumed with a love and a zeal for God that demands goodness and justice have its day. Even if it seems foolish and absurd. Or like a lost cause. As Christians we're called to look for hope in the midst of despair. To look for love in the face of anger and hatred. To look for a way towards peace when violence is all that surrounds us. This is the power and wisdom of God come to us, shared for us, 
a sign of God's grace, of God's forgiveness, of God's mercy and intent for each and every one of us who has been called to live in Christ Jesus. Not only are the signs around us, but they are within us. At baptism, we were sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. The oil may have been washed off, but the cross is still there. Living, powering every breath we take and calling us and drawing us forward into the world to look for the signs of Jesus wherever we go. That is God's power on our lives. That is the wisdom that this world cannot understand on its own. But we've been given the gift. Thanks be to God. Amen.